Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. W.A.B.E. in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Wright, says thank you for listening. The hit TV sitcom Will and Grace was groundbreaking for having a gay lead character, along with gay supporting characters such as Jack and the flamboyant Beverly Leslie. Comedian and actor Leslie Jordan won an Emmy for that role. Since March, Jordan has become another kind of star. His videos on Instagram and Facebook have garnered millions of views. The New Yorker calls him the ideal quarantine companion, and it seems millions agree. Today, We'll listen back to my interview with Leslie Jordan from last summer when he was in town for his stand-up show, Exposed. First, a musical extravaganza. As concert halls and public venues remain closed during the pandemic, musicians of all genres have moved to virtual performance. We're going to hear about a concert streaming from Atlanta this Sunday, featuring several local musicians with international experience. For classical music lovers, as well as performers, many believe that chamber music is the most intimate form of music. Atlanta can boast having a robust chamber music scene, and two outstanding members of that community are joining me now via Zoom. Pianist Julie Kushran and pianist Will Ransom, welcome back to City Lights. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to hear your voice again, Lois. <laughs> Oh, and to be with you both as well. Julie, who will perform on Sunday afternoon's concert? We have a wonderful roster of people. It's Will Ransom, who's next to me right now, and then my brother David Kusharan. We have Sheree Kruger, Helen Kim, Elizabeth Pridgen, Jens Korndorfer, um, myself, and uh, Christopher Rex, and Inzi Kong. So we have tried to keep it sort of like a little bit of a family affair um, because uh, at least 
my brother and I have been together through all of this. Will and Inzi are married, so they have been together. <laughs> um, and then we're trying to keep it as small as we can, under 10 people, and have it sort of like a, a family, family concert. The musicians you mentioned are also representing the Atlanta chamber players, the Georgian chamber players, the Emory Chamber Music Society, and I understand the music director from First Presbyterian Church will be participating as well. Why was it important for you to create this event? Well, um, so how it actually started was when this whole pandemic started, it kind of hit out of nowhere. And I think all musicians sort of stood back and, and was kind of in shock a little bit because all of a sudden, you know, you have this career that you're so used to performing and doing things all the time. And then all of a sudden it's poof, nothing, you know, it's like magic. All of a sudden someone is waving a wand and it's all gone. And, um, and for a little bit, I was just kind of in shock a little bit, I think. Um, and then after, after some time, I, I started to get actually really sad and depressed is a strong word, so I don't want to use that, but just very upset and sad over all of this. And I remember having a conversation with my fiance and I, I, I was really sad that morning and <laughs> kind of down and negative about the future. And, um, and I said, you know, this is so strange and I hate this and I don't want to practice. And, you know, it's just not something that I ever thought would ever happen. And, um, and he said, you know, instead of going down into the basement and staying there, why don't you do something, you know, instead of not doing anything, try and do something positive. And so it, at the beginning, I, I was mad at him because, <laughs> because um, you know, that was my initial reaction. And, um, and then I thought about it and I admitted that, yeah, he was actually right. So I um, had previously, actually last year, I went to New York with Jens, who's the artistic director for First Presbyterian Church. And I selected a new Steinway D um, piano for them, which is a beautiful instrument. They just got that piano delivered at the church. And um, I went into practice on it and just kind of try it out. And I had this conversation with Jens about, you know, trying to do something with musicians here in Atlanta. And, um, and he had just heard that we had to cancel Contiki, our music festival in Norway. And he said, maybe, you know, you want to do something here at the church. And so I thought about it and I was like, you know what, um, I'm going to try and bring as many of my, my closest friends here in Atlanta together and, and do something positive um, for both musicians and the audience. And um, I reached out to my, which I would call my musical family here in Atlanta. And um, they all said, you know, yes to wanting to participate. So, so that's how it kind of came about. <laughs> and we're trying something, you know, to try and get music back on track because it's kind of been stalling now for, you know, three or four months. And if we can just try and get a little bit further and do something um, that is on the right track to getting back into performing, then um, that would make me just so happy. Uh -huh. Now, uh, you mentioned the Contiki 
Chamber Music Festival in Norway, which you and your brother David co-direct. We're going to talk about that later. First, I wanted to talk about the fact that this performance on Sunday will be at First Presbyterian Church, which I read was just added to the National Historic Register. It's a beautiful setting, and it has such an impressive history as a congregation. The church is not open to the public yet. They're not open for worship. How were you able to arrange for the space for this virtual concert? Well, so it's not open for the public yet. But we have been doing live streams from the church, doing services from the church, and they have a wonderful, very professional live stream, like cameras and sound and everything. So that's sort of how Jens was able to ask if we could do a concert there because they already have all the equipment and it's very easy to have concerts there. And they've already had a couple of concerts actually from the church live streamed already, which have been a success. Um, so that's why it's you know a little bit easier to do it there because everything is already set. How do you manage the social distancing with the other performers? <laughs> well, so like I said before, we have under 10 people, so we have nine. <laughs> And with, with chamber music, it is actually a little bit easier to keep six feet apart because, you know, the pianist is sitting behind and, and then they can spread out with the quartet. And with David and I, we've always already been together. Um, and same with Will and I, actually. So, so we, we are being very respectful to the, the, the guidelines and the rules, and we'll, we'll keep it as distant as we can. <laughs> okay. Now... The program is a feast <laughs> for, for those who love chamber music. And I'm not talking about a low-calorie feast. We're talking rich. Yep, very high-calorie. <laughs> very high-calorie, delicious music on this program. Let's sample a few of the selections, beginning with the opening work, the first movement from Robert Schumann's Piano Quintet in E-flat. Schumann wrote this piece for his wife, Clara, who was among the greatest pianists of the 19th century. She had an international concert performing career, which was just about unheard of for a woman in the 19th century. How would you describe the first movement of this piece? Well, it's it's definitely a virtuosic piece. Um, it's It kind of has everything. It has the technique, it has the musicality that you need. And I think that's what he was trying to show and showcase for Clara when he composed it. Also a little bit personal for me because um, my great-grandmother was actually a student of Clara Schumann's, uh, which is my claim to fame. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and she used to travel from Norway um, to take lessons with Clara. And so I've always loved this piece and I love how it's it's so um, it's so technically difficult, but then you have these amazingly beautiful harmonies and quieter sections, especially in the first movement, which is you know why I think that it's one of the most famous piano quintets that you can play. 
Mm, it is magnificent. And it is a wonderful choice for the opening work, a great curtain raiser, if yeah. you will. That's that was that was my 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 thought process too, and I think it's like a you know like almost like a fanfare. Like we're back, we're here. <laughs> Julie, as you and your brother, violinist David Kushran, who is also Atlanta's Symphony Orchestra concertmaster, you and David are Norwegian ambassadors of music, so it's only fitting that. This Sunday's program has music by Norway's most famous composer, Edvard Grieg. His sonata number three for violin and piano has a very lively third movement, and it's quite demanding technically. What's it like playing this piece with your brother? Well, most pieces I play with my brother is pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I say most pieces because sometimes we have fights. So usually with new pieces, we 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 have arguments. But with with pieces that we've played for a while, when I play with David, it's kind of like we communicate sometimes in such a weird way that we don't even really need to say anything. And it's like he does something, and I'll do exactly the same thing. And I'm wondering how can how can that be? It's the same thing. But sometimes when we say things, and we say things almost at the same time. And I know that twins have that. We're not twins, but it's just, it's really fun when you just really understand the other person so well, uh, especially when you're playing together. And with, especially with this movement, actually, um, it has a lot of back and forth, like it's a lot of echoes and he plays something and I play something. And um, it's really fun to sort of go back and forth and, and be communicating like that through an instrument and echoing each other and it's it really especially in this movement it's really obvious it's like cat and mouse a little bit <laughs> So you not only finish each other's sentences, you can finish each other's musical phrasing or anticipate each other's musical yeah. phrasing. Most of the time it's like that. Sometimes <laughs> I'll admit that it doesn't quite work, but 90% of the time. <laughs> well, I know that husband and wife duos or partner duos can also have this special relationship, the special musical rapport that is quite extraordinary and certainly will. You have that with your wife in Zikong. Part of the reason for this Sunday's concert is to mark the beginning of what would have been the opening of the Kontiki Chamber Music Festival in Norway that you had to cancel. Will your fantastic Highlands Cashers Chamber Music Festival also had to be canceled? 
What does the near future hold for us? Well, I seem to be more optimistic than a lot of people are uh, that we will be back to live concerts before too long. And uh, in, in the meantime, as Julie said, you know, everyone's finding all these different avenues to present music uh, that's not for live audiences or maybe in the, in the near future for very small live audiences, but a lot of virtual stuff, a lot of online streaming, uh, a lot of recordings. And I even had, uh, I, I'm in the middle of some discussions with someone about virtual reality concerts where the audience wears a visor, a virtual reality visor with headphones and you feel like you're literally right there in the environment and you can walk around and you can walk right up to the musicians and, and look at them <laughs> as they're playing and, and uh, see them from angles. If this comes together, that's gonna be incredibly exciting and something that I think will, can be added in the future to live concerts uh, for people who could be at any, uh, anywhere in the world really and experience the music and the performance in a very different way. But there's no substitute for live performance. No, but is it too early for you to tell us who the scientist is or any further details or do we just have to check in with you again? Uh, well, there are actually a couple of people and places working on this, but the one that, that has contacted me is uh, a wonderful pianist and poet, uh, Oni Buchanan, who is also a concert manager. And so she's uh, trying to put this together for her roster, actually, and, and then uh, sell the idea to presenters for possible presentation. It's all, you know, the technology is evolving so fast. And just like the, the technology of the piano expanded when Beethoven insisted that he wanted more notes up higher on the keyboard and down lower, so the piano makers responded and made bigger instruments for him to accommodate the music. And now very quickly, the technology is expanding because we need it and we need it now. We'll be back with pianists Will Ransom and Julie Kushron to hear more about their upcoming virtual concert in a moment. You're listening to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights on WABE. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. Let's get back to pianists Will Ransom and Julie Kushron.
We're discussing this Sunday's free online concert with Atlanta's premier chamber musicians. Forget about the symphony orchestra. Here, Will Ransom talks about performing an arrangement of Beethoven's Fifth at the piano. You know, it's interesting that uh, pretty much everything was arranged for piano for hands or even for solo piano uh, back in the 1800s when there were no recordings and uh, everyone had a piano in their home and that was sort of the home entertainment center. So you could get every symphony ever written, string quartets, uh, all sorts of chamber music operas arranged for either piano for hands or piano solo. Piano for hands is even easier because each uh, player has even uh, less to do, although some of them are very involved, I, I have to say. <laughs> but they fell out of popularity as recordings became more prevalent, and of course as orchestras became more prevalent, and when every little town had their own orchestra, then you could go hear these masterpieces played as they were supposed to be played. But before that, if you wanted to enjoy them, this was a great way to do it. So many of these arrangements are actually uncredited, and the one that we're playing is uncredited. I don't think it's Beethoven. Um, people who have researched it don't think that Beethoven did his own arrangement of this, but they're brilliantly done, and they're thrilling to play, and they're thrilling to listen to as well. So over the last, last years, I've been programming a number of these Beethoven symphonies arranged for four hands, and it's just the audience goes nuts and we go nuts because yeah. getting to play Beethoven fifth, Beethoven seventh, you know? <laughs> what could be Yeah, it's definitely exciting. Will you wear masks? You're going to be on the same bench. We won't, actually. We've spent time together and been careful outside our little hives. And so uh, we're, we're going to be okay. Okay, good. I think it's only fitting that we include Yen since he did provide <laughs> the piano in the space. The music director of First Presbyterian Church, Jens Korndorfer, will perform at this concert. What can you tell us about the piece he'll play? Well, it's by Lidor, who is one of the most famous organ composers. And it's a very virtuosic piece, which fits Jens playing perfectly because he's an amazing, amazing organist, as well as organizing all these concerts and the music program at First Presbyterian Church. He's also a world-renowned organist. And when I first asked or talked to him about this chamber music concert, and I said to him, could you play Pete well? And he was—he seemed kind of surprised that I asked, and um, and I'm just so honored that he um, he wanted to be a part of it because you will hear an amazing organist perform.
And in fact, Vidor called these works symphonies, though they're not for a symphony orchestra, but they encompass that huge scope of sound. We don't usually associate the organ with chamber music, so this will be an interesting addition to your program. If I could add also that First Presbyterian has always had an extraordinary music program, uh, and Jens is taking it to another whole level um, going forward. And uh, he and I are teaming up, and the Chamber Music Society and First Pres are going to start next fall. Uh, Unfortunately, it looks like it may be virtual to begin, but we're going to start a new series that's a complement to our incredibly popular noontime, Cook Noontime series at Emory University um, called Bach's Lunch Concerts, also on Fridays at noon, uh, about once a month. And we'll have chamber music concerts there at the church. And they will also be uh, broadcast in the fall live and available later for, for viewing. And part of the reason we're doing this is because our concerts at Emory have become so popular that we're going to have to start uh, having registration to limit the number of people that come because of the uh, fire department was not happy with people hanging from the rafters to, to hear our noontime concerts. So hopefully some people will go to First Pres and some will come to Emory, uh, but we're going to be spreading great music more and more around the whole city as we go forward. I can add just one more thing, speaking of chamber music and organ, because uh, the, the new grand piano at First Prize is so new, and we are going to do something special to welcome it into, into the church. Jens and I are actually doing a chamber music concert together next year with piano and organ. And one of the pieces that we're playing is actually the Beethoven Piano Concerto Number no. 5, where um, I'm playing the piano part and Jens on the organ is playing the orchestral part. And we have a, a new piece commissioned just for us as well. So that will be definitely a, a new thing for me. I'm doing a chamber music piece with an organist, which I'm so excited about. Um, and so that will be the first time I'll be collaborating with, with an organist. But I think that could be a really, really, really cool concert <laughs> to do. It's going to be interesting to hear the combination of sound. Yeah. So that'll be a first for me and um, hopefully uh, an exciting concert. (laughs) This Sunday's concert will conclude with another piano quintet, but I see the names of seven musicians, not five. How will you do that? Well, like Will was saying the other day, we've made it the Dvorak piano septet instead of... Well, so we are three pianists participating on Sunday and because we're so lucky to have all these incredible, um, incredible pianists here and, and it's, it's so wonderful that both Will and Elizabeth are, are playing, but you know, we don't, we wanted to end it with everybody and maybe Jens could play something on the organ (laughs) um, to be a part of it. Uh, But we we wanted to include everyone. And so Will came up with the the great idea that we could um, split it up. So Will plays the first part, Elizabeth plays the middle part, and then I play the, the last part. So we'll sort of play musical chairs and have each one of us play a little bit with the quartet. Thank you. 
just slide in at these moments when there's about six beats out where the pianist doesn't play. <laughs> One will jump out and the other will jump in. and, and Which is actually a very short amount of time. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting to see yeah. how this works. <laughs> so you're going to throw in some gymnastics yeah. to this concert. <laughs> yeah, we're going to start practicing this week. We'll do, a, we'll do our ac acrobics classes. <laughs> Oh, that sounds fun. Julie, you managed to get all of these extraordinary musicians to perform without being paid. With work scarce and concert halls closed, why did they agree? Well, it's sitting next to me right now and he's like, what? We're not getting paid? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, well, so when I first when, when I first thought about doing this, I was a little bit, you know, I, I feel bad that we can't, but at the same time, it's for the future and it's it's for what we can do in the future to keep our, you know, concerts coming. And um, I don't know why they agreed. I guess they must like me a little bit. <laughs> you are very likable. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, maybe. <laughs> well, you know what? What we do as musicians is is give to the community, uh, give to our listeners. That's our life. And for the last two or three months, we have not been able to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's a very strange feeling because all of us have been doing this constantly since we were teenagers. And I think all of us are just aching yeah. to do something to make people's lives a little bit brighter, mm -hmm. to bring some beauty and some happiness, uh, especially during these really surreal times. And so we all we all jumped at the chance. Yeah, it's nice to be able to make music together again. You know, like we're all such good friends as well as as colleagues, and to be able to express our feelings and emotions through the music with people that we love to an audience that we love is what we're trying to do on Sunday. Pianists Julie Kushran and Will Ransom. They'll perform in a chamber music extravaganza, a free online concert this Sunday. There will be more information on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Since the COVID-19 outbreak, fresh produce and meat have been more difficult to find in grocery stores. Food distributors and supply chains are working tirelessly to keep up with the increasing demand. Food industry workers remain vigilant to protect themselves and others who shop at these stores. An alternative to shopping indoors is to order online from your local farmer's market. 
Community Farmers Markets has created a virtual farmers market where shoppers can order local and organically grown produce. City Lights producer Summer Evans spoke with the executive director, Katie Hayes, via Zoom. Community Farmers Markets in general has been very proactive about being a safe place to buy your groceries. So the Grant Park Winter Market was in operation when all of this started, um, and we immediately looked around the country for best practices. We created hand-washing stations that are mandatory for entering the market. We have the booths spaced out so that the vendors themselves are not in too close of proximity to each other. And we have lots of other safety protocols in place. For example, our farmers, one handles produce, the other person will handle money, so there's not cross-contamination. Everyone's going to be required to have a mask. You know, all of our employees will have gloves and be following proper, proper safety protocol. Something else that we, we realized from the very beginning that it was important in service industries like ours, people often come to work when they're sick because they're afraid they won't get paid. So we guaranteed that our staff would get paid whether or not they came to work so that people weren't forced to come if they were sick or scared. And so that's been good for morale. Definitely hard uh, to keep up with payroll, but we know that there's that our staff will not be coming to the markets if they're sick. So lots of safety protocols in place. And then we also built out our online farmer's market. So it's shop CFMATL. And it's basically the largest a la carte local ordering system in Atlanta. And you can go on from Wednesdays and Fridays and order whatever you like. So you can pick out radishes from Mayfloor and lettuce from Cosmos and shrimp from Middle Georgia. So you can, you can pick out the different items that you like from the farmers that you normally would support. So we have, we have pretty much everything on the site um, that you would find at a local farmer's market. And we've been, we've turned all five of our market locations into pickup only points. It's definitely been an experiment, a challenging one, aggregating all of that produce and products from so many different farms. And so we've been doing it so that the pickup is on Wednesdays at each site. So we have a site in Oakhurst, Decatur, Ponce, East Atlanta, and Grant Park. And then we'll eventually hopefully move to a model where we have the markets open and the pre-ordering available as well. Again, we just want to create as many food access points as possible. The people have been really appreciative of the, of the order and pickup site because it, you know, it's a very low contact um, way of shopping. So people go online, they place their order. And then when they arrive to pick up, they basically just write their name down, put it in their window and then pop the trunk. And so they don't even have to touch any of us. And of course, we're being very safe when we put the bag in the trunk. You know, when they get home, they can wipe off the bag and pretty much be good to go. That's great for vulnerable populations or just anyone that doesn't feel comfortable being in a space with other people at all. Katie Hayes, the executive director of Community Farmers Markets. The Grant Park Farmers Market is held each Sunday at the Beacon from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. When the hit TV sitcom Will and Grace premiered in 1998, 
This show was groundbreaking for having a gay lead character, along with gay supporting characters such as Jack and the flamboyant Beverly Leslie. Comedian and actor Leslie Jordan won an Emmy Award for that role. Since March, Jordan has become another kind of star. His videos on Instagram and Facebook have garnered millions of views and been praised for both their honesty and humor. The New Yorker calls him the ideal quarantine companion, and it seems many agree. Leslie Jordan joined me last June while in Atlanta for his stand-up show, Exposed. I asked if he'd always wanted to be an actor. No, not at all. I was very funny, but it was to keep the bullies at bay because I wasn't good at sports and... Uh, during dodgeball, smear the queer, and they would, so I would tap dance to get the attention off of me or away from me, and so I learned to be funny, but I wasn't interested. I didn't do plays, or it was all about horses when I was growing up, and then I, I made a career out of that, too, so long before I began acting, I was an exercise rider for thoroughbred racehorses that took me all over the world. That's right. I read that you thought you might become a jockey. I wanted that, but it takes a certain kind of uh, craziness, I think, that I just didn't have to uh, really make it in that field. And also the weight. I'm short, but I'm not. uh, There's a lot of me. I'm very solid. You know, you have to be really tiny, tiny. Well, I Um, think that your fans are quite happy that you decided to pursue the comedy route instead of (laughs) being on a horse. Would you tell us how you got the role of Beverly Leslie in Will and Grace? People think because my name is Leslie Jordan and Beverly Leslie that it was written for me, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't. It was actually written for Joan Collins, and they were going to have her um, steal Rosario the maid away from Karen Walker, uh, Megan Mullally's character. Yeah. And then they were going to get into a, a gigantic sort of dynasty cat fight <laughs> across a billiard table and, and and pull each other's wigs off. Well, I don't know what happened. Something perhaps scheduling or maybe Miss Collins didn't want her wig pulled off. I don't know. <laughs> but they changed the character to a man. They kept the name Beverly, Beverly Leslie. And I just uh, went into audition so it was uh, it was just one of those things where the ship came in and there I was. So it worked out very well. I did that one episode and then they called and they said, you've scored a real coup. They want you back and Ellen DeGeneres is going to play a nun and blah, blah, blah. And after that, I just started doing um, three and four episodes a year. I didn't do as many as people think. I think I did 12 during the f- initial run which is eight years, you know, 22 episodes a year. So, But the character was very popular, and then I ended up winning an Emmy. Yes, congratulations. Well-deserved. <laughs> now, Will and Grace had a revival in 2017. What do you think about NBC bringing it back? Well, I think it was just the time was right. The way I understand is the four of them did a spoof on some sort of political spoof, 
during the election, and it was so popular that they kind of looked at each other, and Max Muchnick and David Cohen, who created the show, thought, well, why wouldn't we? <laughs> and so they were getting it all ready, and they called me, and I said, but I can't come back because you killed me <laughs> in the in the finale. I flew off the balcony. The only thing that was left was my opera slippers. Their initial idea, they said, well, we're going to bring you back, but not as Beverly Leslie. You're going to come back as his evil twin, Leslie Leslie. (laughs) But then I think as they got into the, the reboot, they realized they should disregard that finale. It just had too many weird things going in different directions and so we they just picked up where they left off which, go the jr route it was all a dream go. right there you go besides how, how, beverly shouldn't be killed beverly's no. immortal now how did it feel to be back on set and having a surprise entrance at that it had been 11 years which was just mind-boggling but you walked in and there were all the same people i don't know how they did it Mm. same cameraman same director same everything (laughs) the only one i missed was our craft service girl who was very southern and used to say y'all come eat so (laughs) we missed her she had moved on but you walked in and just picked up where you left off now megan mullally paid me a wonderful compliment I didn't show up until about the fifth episode of the reboot. And the first scene we did in front of the audience, because it's like verbal ping pong with her. Megan Mullally is is such a gifted comedian. You don't have to worry. Hmm. You know, whatever you throw her way is going to come back like you, a tsunami. Do you ever and, improvise with her? No, we're not allowed. Can you believe that? Really? I learned when I very first got to Hollywood that film is a director's medium stage is is an actor's medium but television is a writer's medium you know our show had 12 or more writers i heard at one time roseanne had 25 (laughs) can you imagine so they work all night long and they they have a rhythm and they have a way in which they want everything spoken so we would always kind of improvise and tell them in the rehearsal funny things that we thought and i noticed they never used it I don't know if it was just the idea that we cannot let the inmates run the asylum. Because <laughs> I've been on shows where actors did were able to say whatever they wanted, and it was a nightmare. You know, it really was a nightmare. Really? I don't mind improvis- improvisation. I'm pretty good at it. But, you know, sometimes when people improvise, but there's also a script, you just want to know, at what point do I say my line? I mean, you're over there just, you know, improvising. Yes. And one time in college... I had my direct, a director tell me, he said, you know, the director, it's, it's the whole piece. And it would be like you just standing up over there with your horn and going into, you know, some jazz improvisation. It was wonderful. The audience is loving it, but it has absolutely nothing to do with the piece. But you know, you- we're trying to. So, um, no, it, in answer to that question, they won't let us improvise. But Megan still makes it easy for you, you said. And you know what? The improvisation is in taking those words. Megan's is a lot like me in that she likes business. 
She wants to know, okay, I've got the martini here. I reach here. You know, we there's a lot of that. I watch, I watch her in rehearsal, and I learned a lot about that, that, you know, people think that you can just do anything you want up there when you're doing those lines. You have to rehearse, you know. I reach for the cigarette. I like this. I do this. I do. It doesn't just happen, you know. Um, and uh, she's like me. We're both very business-oriented, so we're always busy up there. The writers keep saying, just say the lines. We say, well, we have to have our our say, too. So Your friend publicly insinuated that I was a homosexual. <laughs> and? <laughs> oh, Beverly, no. You must have misunderstood. Attention, Republicans. Beverly Leslie is a homosexual. I repeat... Will and Grace was groundbreaking for its time. What was it like for you being a part of the gay community and being part of a TV show that was making history with two gay main characters? It was, um, I knew that it was, it was really making a difference. I didn't realize until I looked back that it was, it was that it was where the tide turned. I really do think that when people look back, they're going to realize, because it was the first show in which um, I'd always I always knew that the main way to combat homophobia, as I said earlier, was through through comedy, making people laugh. Another way is putting a face on it. And all of a sudden, these people were in people, you know, in people's living rooms, the first gay people they had had in their living rooms. And they laughed and they loved, and there was a lot of progress made. Personally, I started noticing when I was very first on the show, people would stop me on the street and say, you're what you're so uh, aren't you on a tv show and i go yeah will and grace right now and they go and if it was a straight guy he would always say my wife watches that (laughs) my girlfriend watches that by the end of the run i would have you know guys out on the streets the construction workers yelling hey you're really funny i like that show you know and i thought there's something something's something has changed here you know just just in something that small and it must have felt fantastic to be a part of something that profound and people come up to me you know i do i do my one man show now in between um all my uh, acting gigs and i get to go out all over the place i did 44 venues last year and you know kids from smaller towns will come up with tears in their eyes and tell me you have no idea that's all i had you know, you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Watching Will and Grace was all I had. And I think, wow, wow. Yeah. But I get it. This one-man show was adapted from your book, your memoir, called My Trip Down the Pink Carpet. And in that, you told personal stories from your childhood and your early days in Hollywood. In the show, you're candid with details about deeply personal things, uh, substance abuse, as well as your personal struggles with demons and relationships. Much to the horror of my mother. (laughs) I I was wondering about that. What was it like for you to be talking about those experiences on stage and for your family? 
My mother saw my show one time, and she said, you weren't raised to talk like that. Why do you have to talk so dirty? And and I said, Mom, bought you a condo. <laughs> you know, that's about all I can say now. Is I, The greatest thing I ever did as an adult was buy her. She's a beautiful, beautiful condominium in Chattanooga. But um, she said to me, why can't you just whisper it, like, to a therapist? Why do you... As she said, if I live to be 105, I'll never understand this deep-seated need you have to air your dirty laundry. But I remember when I started writing that book, what they wanted were um, stories of Hollywood and an actor coming to Hollywood. And then I just started writing about losing my dad when I was 11 years old and in, in a plane crash. He was uh, in the Army. And wow, that affected me. And things just started pouring out. Well, at first, my editor was kind of a little horrified. Are you sure? Are you sure? And I said, yeah, I am sure. And it wasn't, though, until I put it in front of an audience that I realized that it's, I, I have a, a, a gift of doing just that, of being honest and saying this is the way it happened and doing it through laughter. I think that's what people who show up just expecting the show to be all laughter— and when that horrible tragedy happened in Orlando where there were 49 of my comrades murdered mm. in that nightclub, I was in D.C. that weekend doing—I was Grand Marshal of the Gay Pride. And by, when the sun came up on Sunday morning after that tragedy, I was in the White House. Our ex-president Obama and his lovely First Lady Michelle wanted a gay presence when the tourists arrived to show support. And so I was in the White House— with the Washington Gay Men's Chorus and all these uh, country western singer named Ty Herndon had just come out. And everything was going great. And then they pulled me aside and they said, Mr. Jordan, would you be willing, uh, you've been so giving, to stay here in Washington until Tuesday and throw the first pitch out for the Washington Nationals versus the Chicago Cubs? And I agreed. I had never held a baseball in my life. <laughs> and how did it go? It went really well because th that's the way I end the story now because it begins, you know, with this kid who who wasn't good at sports. And then all of a sudden I'm asked to throw this pitch out and all the members of the gay choir were saying, well, this is a YouTube video in the making, just knowing I was going to just make a fool of myself. But I was on the air the next day on a TV show in D.C. and there's a wonderful commentator. I can't remember his last name, but his first name is Wisdom. I just love that name. And he leaned into me when I told him I was going to do that. And he said, I coach Little League. I'll teach you. And he did. We went out in the parking lot. And I did really well. I ran out to Nat Stadium. There were over 38,000 people. And in honor of my 49 murdered comrades, and more personally, in honor of my dad, you know, because I wasn't good at sports. And he was a man's man. He loved sports. They would put me in the outfield, uh, and I would do cheerleader jobs. I just didn't. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's the, that's the journey now, which is vastly different from the book. But that's my show grows over the years. You know, I changed names, and now it's called Leslie Jordan Exposed, and I, I'm really proud of it. Gay men my age, we have what I call the Marilyn Monroe Syndrome. We love to fall apart. Oh, we love to scream and lock ourselves in the bathroom. Oh, we love to cry and take pills. Oh, oh, carry on. Just fall apart. You know, Lily Tomlin produced for me for years, and she used to tell me, when she first asked me, she said, do your shows make money? 
And I said, well, it's $1,600 just to ship the set. I used to travel with a set. I had like a southern front porch and wicker furniture and sweet iced tea. And she said, a set? Oh, no, 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 honey, you don't need a set. You're a wonder, just you and a mic. And so that's what it is now. It's me and a mic and an audience. You are thoroughly exposed without the porch and the sweet iced tea. Nothing, just me telling my stories. Emmy Award-winning actor, comedian, and now social media star, Leslie Jordan. You can find his daily Instagram video on his page at The Leslie Jordan. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily exploration of Atlanta arts and cultural life. Monday at 11 a.m., We'll hear the Oscar-winning director Barry Jenkins speak about the inspiration of James Baldwin. Our theme music is The First Time, written and performed by Joe Cranston with his jazz band. Special thanks to Hot Shoe Records. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. Won't you follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Listen back to interviews and check out our show's archives at wabe.org slash City Lights. And please do listen to our new podcast wherever you subscribe. Here's wishing you a safe and good weekend. Thanks for listening to WABE Atlanta. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The world is full of mysteries. Are ghosts real? Is that yogurt expired? Hey, the unknown can be scary. But when you donate to WABE, you know where your money is going. Your gift supports the journalism that keeps you informed and the programs that pull back the curtain on complicated stories. Help us make the world less mysterious. Become a member now. Go online to wabe.org donate. And thanks.